Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. and welcome to Face the Nation. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. There has been a significant escalation in the fighting between Israel and Hamas in the last 48 hours. In Gaza, the humanitarian situation has deteriorated even further. There has been no pause to let aid trucks in days. Some communication systems have been restored today following a blackout that started on Friday. Meanwhile, there have been more attacks from Iran-backed militia groups targeting U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. The Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group has crossed into the Mediterranean Sea, where it will join with other U.S. Navy assets already in the region. We begin this morning in Tel Aviv with our Charlie Daggett. What the Israeli government calls its second stage of the war began with its fiercest aerial onslaught yet. Then an artillery barrage, according to Israeli Defense Forces video and tanks, flanked by soldiers on foot rolling inside Gaza without pulling back this time. Even if Israeli officials stopped short of calling it an invasion. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called it Israel's second war of independence. The war inside the Gaza Strip will be long and difficult, he said, and we are ready for it. Addressing whether what aid agencies call the catastrophic crisis unfolding inside Gaza constitutes a war crime, he said, The IDF is the most moral army in the world. The IDF does everything to avoid harming those who are not involved. But each airstrike and artillery shell brings more death and destruction for more than two million people with nearly nowhere to take shelter. The Hamas-run health ministry now says more than 8,000 people have been killed, around half of them children. 
A mother mourns, saying, leave him in my arms. There are fears for those held beneath Gaza, too. Even before the wave of airstrikes and the heavy bombardment that continues, there was growing concern for more than 200 hostages still trapped inside Gaza. Under security threat. Making things much more complicated for special forces hostage rescue teams, former Mossad intelligence chief Haim Tomer told us. Do they have the intelligence or the equipment in the tunneling system in the middle of all of this chaos to find out where these hostages are being kept? To be very frank and direct, it's a kind of a mission impossible. To find the hostages intelligence-wise is very, very, very difficult, almost on the line of impossible. Hamas has still been able to retaliate, missiles hitting a Tel Aviv neighborhood. And while the Israeli government's stated goal is the total destruction of Hamas and the return of the hostages, the long-term strategy is less clear. Former Vice Prime Minister Zippy Livni. What does Gaza look like after a ground invasion? Well, I think that we should think about it right now, not to wait until the end of the ground maneuver operation. Look at the situation and think not just about the next day, but about the next year, next 10 years. Think about the future. Now, it's clear, should be clear, Israel doesn't want to reoccupy Gaza. But how Israel's new phase of the war is waged, how long, how many more people may die, will determine whether it remains confined to this tragic little corner of the Middle East or ignites the region. This morning, the UN raised alarm that civil order is starting to break down inside Gaza. Thousands of people storming their warehouses and distribution centers in a desperate need for wheat, flour, and hygiene supplies. Margaret. We go now to White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. Jake, good morning to you. Good morning, Margaret. Does the U.S. know if the roughly five to 600 Americans in Gaza have survived the past 23 days of bombing and have the hostages? We are in regular contact with most of the Americans who are in Gaza. We can't say every single one, but all of the ones who reach out to us, we follow up with on a regular basis, even sometimes a daily basis. And so we know that many of them are still there, still waiting to get out. And we are working actively to try to make that happen. The challenge right now, Margaret, is that the Egyptians are prepared to let Americans and other foreign nationals out of Gaza. The Israelis have no issue with that. But Hamas is preventing their departure and making a series of demands. We're trying to work through that to create a circumstance where all of the Americans who are in Gaza are able to get out. Let me ask you about Israel and how it has explained its mission to the U.S. government. Saturday, uh, their military said it killed a Hamas leader who had overseen the drone strikes and the paragliders who carried out that horrific attack on October 7th. They'd already announced that they'd killed the commander of forces responsible for the massacre at Kibbutz Nareem and another key Hamas commander. Have they told you yet at which point they will declare this mission a success? Well, they have declared they have told us in broad terms that making sure that Hamas can never again threaten Israel in the way it threatened Israel before is their core strategic objective in this conflict. 
Uh, but in terms of what the specific milestones are, uh, that is something that ultimately is up to Israel. This is their military operation. They will make that decision. And we will continue to ask the hard questions of the Margaret that we would ask of ourselves in a military operation like this. What exactly are the objectives? How are the means matched to the objectives? And how will this evolve over time? That's a conversation we've been having. It's a conversation we will continue to have in the days ahead. So it sounds like that end game has not been specifically laid out. Do you expect at this point a full-scale Israeli invasion and occupation of Gaza? Or is that off the table? Well, I'll let the Israeli Defense Forces speak to what their operational planning is. And I'm not going to characterize it on television today. What I will say is that the United States has been very focused on a core challenge here, which is that Hamas is using civilians as human shields. They're hiding behind civilians. They're hiding among civilians. They're putting rockets and other terrorist infrastructure in civilian areas. That creates an added burden for the Israeli Defense Forces, but it does not lessen their responsibility to distinguish between terrorists and innocent civilians and to protect the lives of innocent civilians as they conduct this military operation. That's true of striking from the air. It is true of going in on the ground. And this is something that we talk about with the Israelis on a daily basis. I understand. uh, But I also understand now that there has been a tremendous amount of death in Gaza. I know President Biden said the other day he has no confidence in the numbers presented by Palestinian authorities in Gaza. But I wonder at which point does the U.S. say there needs to be some cessation of violence? Well, first, President Biden was making a straightforward point, which is that the particular institution, the Gaza Health Ministry, which is run by Hamas, we can't take what Hamas says at face value. But we have also been clear repeatedly uh, that we have seen thousands of Palestinian civilians killed in this conflict, that that is a tragedy. Each and every one of those individual deaths is a tragedy. And that the life of every civilian, Palestinian, Israeli, anyone, is sacred and has to be protected. And it is important for Israel to distinguish between going after terrorist targets to take out terrorists who continue to threaten Israel and going after civilians. That is an obligation and a responsibility for Israel, and it's something that we will continue to press them on. We also believe that there should be humanitarian pauses to get hostages out, potentially to get aid in, and we will continue to work uh, toward that end. I know, Jake, I've heard this, and frankly, some of the language is a little contradictory, or it sounds that way, because Secretary Blinken said even a temporary pause in bombing would benefit Hamas. He said that on this program last week. Then a few days later, he went to the U.N. and said um, a humanitarian pause must be considered. Then the U.S. at the U.N. voted against a humanitarian truce. So what exactly is the Biden administration calling for here? Because everyone from the Pope to the World Health Organization to the U.N. is saying just stop the violence for a period of time at least? Well, what a lot of people are calling for is just uh, a stop to Israeli military action against terrorists, period. Just stop. No more. Israel cannot go after terrorists who conducted this largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust and who continue to fire rockets and continue to attack Israel. We have taken the position that Israel has a right to defend itself against Mm -hmm. terrorist attacks. That is different from what Secretary Blinken spoke about, which was a humanitarian pause. A pause in the fighting 
for example, so that there's a period of time where there can be safe passage of hostages. So just hours. President Biden and his whole team are working extremely hard to get those hostages out. We will continue to do that. I won't put a time frame on it, but I will say that given the number of hostages, it would be more than just hours if we were able to secure their release, and we are actively working to secure their release. And similarly, when Secretary Blinken said that any pause in fighting benefits Hamas, that's a reality. There are a lot of complicated realities in this. Mm -hmm. A humanitarian pause would be a good thing to get hostages out, but you can bet that Hamas will try to use that time to their advantage as well. These are the things that Israel is trying to grapple with. So to that point, Benny Gantz, who is part of the Netanyahu war cabinet, said, we will listen to our friends, but we will act in accordance with what is right for us. Is there any daylight, Jake, between the U.S. and the Netanyahu government right now? We have conversations like friends do on the hard questions that I talked about before on issues associated with humanitarian aid, on distinguishing between terrorists and innocent civilians, on how Israel's thinking through its military operation. Mm -hmm. Those conversations happen multiple times a day. They happen between the president and the prime minister. They happen by the secretary of state, secretary of defense, myself, other senior members of our administration. We talk candidly. We talk directly. We share our views in an unvarnished way, and we will continue to do that. Uh, but sitting here in public, I will just say that the United States is going to make its principles and propositions absolutely clear, including the sanctity of innocent human life. And then we will continue yeah. to provide our advice to Israel in private. I, I understand this is another country's decisions here, but the U.S. gives more than $3 billion a year in aid to Israel. Some of those weapons being used in Gaza are purchased or helped to be purchased with U.S. taxpayer funds. So whether it's intended or not, to some of the world, it looks like the U.S. is endorsing all of what Israel is doing here. Are you at all asking the military to be more uh, limited in its tactics or more strategic? The United States of America, when we transfer weapons to another country, whether it's Israel or anyone else, uh, requests, requires an assurance that those weapons will be used in accordance with the law of armed conflict, and we seek accountability to ensure that that is the case. We will continue to do that. We will also work round the clock to try to make sure that life-saving humanitarian assistance gets to people in need. But fundamentally, what President Biden says, mm -hmm. how he has described things from the point of view of civilian protection, access to life-saving goods and medicine for civilians. This is where the United States stands. And we do not stand for the killing of innocent people, uh, wh whether it be Palestinian, Israeli, or otherwise. And we weep and grieve for every lost life and will continue to do so. Is that going to be your message to Saudi Arabia's defense minister when you meet tomorrow? I know you know a number of Arab partners are, are concerned about the level of violence in Gaza right now. We've been talking to our Arab partners, uh, including to Saudi Arabia, about the unfolding uh, crisis in Gaza. Uh, we listen to them carefully. We share our perspective. And yes, we will have the opportunity to dive deep, not just on what is happening today, 
but on what tomorrow could bring. Because what President Biden said in the Rose Garden this past week was that we can't go back to October 6th. That means Hamas can no longer terrorize Israel, but it also means that there needs to be a political horizon for the Palestinian people, two states for two peoples, the right of Palestinians to live in safety, dignity and equality. And we're going to work towards that. And Arab states, including Saudi Arabia, have a role and a responsibility in that as well. Before I let you go, do you now believe Iran is deterred? Well, what I believe is that the United States will follow through on what we say we're going to do. We said that if our troops were attacked, we would respond. We responded. If they're attacked again, we will respond again. And we are vigilant because we are seeing elevated threats against our forces throughout the region and an elevated risk of this conflict spreading to other parts of the region. We are doing everything in our power to deter and prevent that, but I'm not going to predict what the future brings other than to say that if we are attacked, we will respond. Jake Sullivan, thank you for your time. And Face the Nation will be back in one minute. Stay with us. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We go now to General Joseph Votel, former CENTCOM commander overseeing operations in the Middle East. Uh, General, it's good to have you with us. I want to pick up where we left off with the National Security Advisor. He said the U.S. has elevated threats against U.S. forces, elevated risk of the conflict spreading. What are the trigger points you are concerned about? Thanks. Uh, good morning, uh, Margaret. It's good to be with you. So I, I think the thing that I've been concerned about, and probably many have been concerned about, is that any miscalculation along the line can move this to a different level. So, um, you know, an attack on, on an American installation, whether it's military or diplomatic or commercial, uh, that causes casualties, significant casualties and death, I think could could significantly change uh, the calculus uh, calculus for us. And certainly a, a much broader attack by uh, the so-called Iranian threat network here, whether it's Hezbollah or whether it's Iranian uh, aligned militia groups in Syria to broaden the conflict. I, I think these are all aspects that could uh, that could lead to a widening of the of the conflict. There have already been 20 militia attacks on U.S. forces in Syria and Iraq. There are about 19 service people who suffered from uh, traumatic brain injuries. One contractor died. Uh, how do you understand that level of aggression? 
Well, I, I, it, it's very clear. I mean, the, the Iran is behind this. There, there, uh, there are elements in in Iraq and and to some extent in Syria are perpetrating these attacks. And as the National Security Advisor said, we've got to we've got to hold them accountable for that. And so it is critically important to not just be responsive, but to be directly responsive and be forceful in our manner. Ultimately, what we need to do is compel these elements and Iran, who is behind all of this, to stop this type of action right now. Uh, in Israel, their prime minister said yesterday this is going to be a long war and we're in the second phase. You just heard Jake Sullivan say the U.S. is still asking questions like, what exactly are the objectives? How do you describe what the IDF is doing right now in Gaza? Well, I think what the IDF is doing is I, I think that the task they've probably been given is to destroy the war making capacity of Hamas. Um, so uh, they are going after command and control uh, locations. They're going after logistics locations. They're going after headquarters locations uh, and they're going after the likely sites that uh, that Hamas would use to perpetrate uh, missile strikes or rocket strikes onto onto uh, Israel. So from my perspective, it's pretty clear what the what the Israeli military is doing. I think their job is to is to is to destroy that war making capacity of Hamas. Should they stop once uh, capturing Gaza City? Well, again, I think they'll have to make an assessment of, uh, of 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 their progress. Most of the most of the effort now seems to be in the north, uh, northern part of Gaza and around Gaza City, which I think is is most people who study this will recognize is the are the primary areas where uh, where Hamas operates. So they've definitely directed their operations against the places where Hamas is, uh, and uh, and I think they're they're actually approaching this in an incremental manner. I think. We've seen introduction of additional forces over the last couple of days, so they're thinking about it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, like any military force would do, they have to take assessments of their of their progress as they as they continue with their operations. There is concern about another front here outside of Gaza, and I know on Wednesday, President Biden said he is alarmed by quote extremist settlers attacking Palestinians in the West Bank in quote places they're entitled to be. One of Israel's government ministers, Ben Gavir, has video of him arming Israeli civilians with M16 and M4 assault rifles. How concerned are you about an uptick in violence in the West Bank? Well, again, I think this goes back to what we just talked about a few moments ago. This the miscalculations. I mean, this 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 is a, it's a tinderbox, and so when you have people that are scared, they have weapons, they're trying to protect themselves, um, then the chances for something going wrong in this, I think, increase. So, yeah, and and uh, and the rhetoric has been uh, has been very strong about this, about the vulnerability and the fact that uh, that Israeli settlers in the West Bank are targets. Uh, I mean that's essentially what uh, what uh, these uh, these Islamic uh, movements have been saying. So I think it's I think it's an extraordinary uh, critical situation. It could flow flow out very quickly. General Votel, thank you for your analysis today. Thank and you. Good to be here. We'll be right back. So stay with us. After 22 days, the House is back in business. Our Scott McFarland takes a closer look at the new Speaker, Louisiana's Mike Johnson. Thrust from obscurity and the backbench of the U.S. House in just his fourth term. Let the enemies of freedom around the world hear us loud and clear. 
the people's house is back in business. The congressman from Louisiana is sent to be second in line to the presidency. Would you all like to get right into governing? Was so unexpected and so quick, his wife missed the vote. She's not here. We couldn't get a flight in time. This happened sort of suddenly. That overnight rise to the most powerful position in Congress. You're going to see this group looking, working like a well-oiled machine. Also prevented the traditional deep dive into his career and his positions before he took the gavel. People are curious, what does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? I said, well, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's, that's my worldview. That's what I believe in. The evangelical Christian is an attorney specializing in constitutional law. Once a talk radio host who has for decades towed a hard line against abortion rights. What about the brutal violence and the murder that is committed upon the preborn child? Seventeen years before Roe v. Wade was overturned, he wrote an editorial equating abortion with the Holocaust and a judicial system allowing abortions to Hitler. He's been staunchly against gay rights and has referred to it as inherently unnatural and voted against legalizing same-sex marriage. After the 2020 presidential election, Johnson was an architect of congressional efforts to overturn the results, not only voting to decertify the results, but galvanizing House Republicans to join a lawsuit in Texas to challenge the outcome and espousing a conspiracy theory. When you have, you know, a software system that is used all around the country that is suspect because it came from Hugo Chavez's Venezuela. Now that he's speaker, Johnson has less to say about that. But if Republicans maintain the majority next November, Johnson would lead the House in the next certification, January 6, 2025. He's been bolstered by the defectors who removed Kevin McCarthy. The swamp is on the run. MAGA is ascendant. And if, if you don't think that moving from Kevin McCarthy to MAGA Mike Johnson shows the ascendance of this movement and where the power in the Republican Party truly lies, uh, then, then you're not paying attention. And those same defectors are the ones open to shutting down the government if their demands aren't met. The new speaker now has just 19 days to keep that from happening. Speaker Johnson said he'd like to split aid for Israel from aid for Ukraine, which puts immediate aid for Ukraine in a fragile position because there are dozens of Republicans who oppose it. Margaret, he'd need a critical mass of Democrats to support it then, and bills with a critical mass of Democratic support is one reason why there's no Speaker Kevin McCarthy anymore. Good point. Scott, thank you. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Ohio Republican Senator J.D. Vance joins us now 
in studio. Good morning and good to have you here face Thanks to face. Thanks Senator, there is a lot I want to get to with you, sure. um, but I want to start on, on one of the big themes we've been talking about, which is all the national security threats facing the United States right now. Sure. Um, President Biden asked for $106 billion in aid from Congress. Ukraine, Israel, the border, and countering China. I'm surprised as a Republican that the issue you're talking the most about is not the U.S. border. Why? Well, we care a lot about the border, of course, but what I'm saying is that we should divide the packages and actually have distinct debates on each one of these questions, especially the Israel issue, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, Israel needs the aid, and they need it immediately. Second of all, there's broad bipartisan consensus that we should be supporting Israel. And third, and most importantly, we're stretched way too thin. Uh, the president's budget request betrays a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, of the challenges in the country. We cannot support a three-pronged conflict in the war. We don't make enough weapons. Our manufacturing capacity is too weak. We need to pick and choose. To pick and choose, Congress has, needs to have a real debate, not collapse these packages together and pretend we can do everything at once. We can't. So let's unpack some of what you said there, because um, you are talking about the exact same amount for Israel that President Biden is talking about. Sure. It's roughly $14 billion. Um, but you've removed humanitarian assistance to Gaza. Leader McConnell was on this program last Sunday, and he supports the package. Here's what he said. Well, we want to make sure we're not sending money to Hamas, I can tell you that. But there are genuine humanitarian needs mm -hmm. uh, for the people in Gaza who are not Hamas, uh, who've been thrown under the bus by what Hamas did, innocent people. Half of the population of Gaza are children. Sure. Why don't you think the United States can do what Leader McConnell talked about there and provide aid to them? Well, first, Leader McConnell is right, of course, that there are a lot of innocent people in Gaza. We certainly don't want to cause any harm to them. We also have to be, again, reasonable about what we can accomplish. Who delivers the humanitarian assistance? Fundamentally, Hamas is in control of the entire territory. So if you deliver a large amount of humanitarian assistance, who's it going to go to? The children in Gaza or to the Hamas fighters on the front line? Well, I fear United it's going to go to Hamas. The Red Cross, all the international organizations who have been there and administering and frankly stepping up because the government has failed the Palestinian people in the words of a lot of analysts on both sides of the aisle. Stepping up, but I think there's still a lot of evidence with a lot of these international organizations that when we send aid into Gaza, a lot of it goes into the wrong hands. And that's what those of us who are critical of the president's posture are really worrying about. We don't want to basically fund two sides of the exact same conflict, fund Hamas, fund Israel. It seems like a really bad deal for American taxpayers. Most of all, it's just stupid. Well, it's not aid to Hamas. It's aid to the Palestinian people. Sure. And, and look, a million it, of which are children. And if I could wave a magic wand and give aid to the Palestinian children, I will. But given the realities on the ground, I think if we divert resources to Gaza, it's going to fall in the wrong hands. So you don't trust any of the international organizations that are doing that right I, now? I don't trust Hamas on the ground. And I certainly think the international organizations, look, some of them are good people. Some of them actually have some compromised positions. We can't assume that just because it flows to an international organization, it's going to go to the kids and not to the fighters. You've been very very critical of President Biden's uh, response to Iran and its proxy forces and sure. the threats they pose to our troops. Yeah. So spin that forward for me. You're in the Senate. Would you authorize the use of force by the president?
president against the state of Iran? Right now, absolutely not. Um, I think that we should be trying to de-escalate the situation. Of course, we need to have red lines, though. If the Iranians attack American troops, if they play an escalatory they have role, multiple times. if they play an escalatory role in the conflict, we need to be willing to respond. Uh, they have attacked. Certain militia groups have attacked, and I think we've done the right thing. A proportionate response. If they hit us, we have to hit them back. But if you're talking about an attack on the Iranian mainland, mm -hmm. I think that would be a significant escalation. Right now, it would be a mistake. So on the portion that you are supporting for aid to Israel, um, the prime minister said last night that this is going to be a long war. But you just heard Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, say they still have to ask specific and hard questions of the Israeli leadership, like, what exactly are you doing next? What is the end game here? Sure. Doesn't that trouble you? Because there are people who would say maybe there should be strings attached to some of this aid. Do you have an open checkbook for Israel? Well, certainly it's a troubling situation. It's a troubling situation, of course, because 1,500 Israelis were slaughtered by Hamas. I think what we have to have is some respect for our allies. They're not asking us to send ground troops. All they're asking us really is for weapons. Mm -hmm. And we should have some respect for their strategic imperative and also the fact that they know what they're doing within their own country. Uh, the goal here is not to have an this unlimited response, an unlimited response here. The Israelis themselves, I think, have scoped the operation. They seem to be targeting a very narrow thing, which is degrading Hamas. I think we have to have some respect for our Israeli allies that they know what they're doing in their own country. Well, they haven't explained it yet to the U.S. government, is, is what the National Security Advisor was, was saying there. So um, you're giving them uh, the benefit there. I want to talk about one place you've sure. been very clear that you aren't giving them the benefit of the doubt, and that is to Ukraine. We just right. heard the new House Speaker. You have some similarities with him in terms of separating out Israel aid from Correct. Ukraine aid. He did say, though, we can't allow Putin to prevail in Ukraine because I don't believe it would stop there. We're not going to abandon them. What part of that statement is objectionable to you? Well, nothing is objectionable in the sense that if I could wave a magic wand and throw Putin out of Ukraine, I would. But what we have to accept is there's a difference between what should happen and what can happen. America has limited capacity. Just in the Israeli conflict, for example, there uh -huh. are 300,000 artillery shells the Israelis would love to have access to. They don't have access to them. Why? Because we sent them to Ukraine. We have a rising threat of China in East Asia. There are weapons the Taiwanese need that we can't send because we sent them to Ukraine. So to your, we have to focus. That's that's all I'm saying. But on, on that Please. portion of it, though, uh, Leader McConnell spent a, a good amount of time talking about of the 60 billion for Ukraine. It's actually kind of mislabeled because 45 billion of it is for some of this industrial policy, including um, artillery manufactured in Ohio. Sure. You've got a tank manufacturer in Ohio, a combat vehicle manufacturer there, General Dynamics. So if that, are you against that if it benefits your state? Well, look, I'm good for benefits of the state, but this particular policy, we have to be careful, Margaret. We have to remember that we cannot flip the switch and turn back on America's industrial might overnight. It takes years. So you years. do want the investment in all that industrial buildup? I want investment in the industrial buildup for America's national security interests, not to throw billions of dollars in Ukraine before that industrial buildup even happens. So we why not prioritize not... that first? Well, we should. That's exactly my point. Fact, we should prioritize the buildup of America's industrial base and we should devote it to our true allies like Israel and, of course, the rising threat in East Asia. My whole point here is that even if we strike 
to rebuild the industrial might of this country, we don't have enough capacity to support a three-front war. We've got to focus, and I think we should be focusing on Israel and Taiwan. Senator, more to talk about with you, but we have to take a break. Um, So I have to leave it there. We'll be right back. CBS News producer Marwan Al-Ghul lives in Gaza, and he joins us by phone. Marwan, I know it's difficult to communicate with the outside world right now. What can you tell us about what has changed since Israel expanded its operations in Gaza? Well, first of all, uh, once uh, communication was cut, uh, it was miserable life. It was miserable before, but now it's more and more. The, The most Bad thing, I mean, the worst thing, uh, as no communication, uh, once there is air, uh, airstrike and caused deaths people, injuries, nobody can call the ambulances, nobody can call the civil defense, even the people themselves uh, don't know who got dead or who got injured. So it, it was really terrible life in case of cut all of the communication in Gaza. Uh, today morning, uh, I was driving from Rafah city in the, in the south toward the north of Gaza. And in Gaza city, I saw empty streets, but a lot of destructions everywhere. Are there any safe zones, Marwan? Is there any place safe to take shelter? Unfortunately not. There is no any safe place in Gaza. But uh, so many displaced people went to Anurwa school, uh, which is full of thousands and thousands of people, and, and they live a miserable life in these schools. And no enough water, no enough food, uh, no place to sleep. Um, it's not healthy at all. It's, it's very difficult to describe how the people who uh, displaced in Anurwa schools live in. The United Nations said that order is beginning to break down, that people are panicking. They are running low on food, on water, oh, yeah. on basic supplies. Oh, yeah. th- th- that's right. Uh, today morning, uh, I saw uh, people went to the United Nations the stores and they break the doors and took out uh, some food like wheat and uh, some water. It is not enough, but the people break, broke the, the gates and the, the siege of uh, Anurwa and took uh, the, the, the food over there. You know, the people are hungry. You, you need to lie uh, like few hours to get bread, which is the most... Uh, kind of food people need it. Uh, it's, it's, it's really miserable. What about medical supplies, Marwan? Are the hospitals full? What are you seeing in terms of who is being injured right now? Well, yesterday I was in El Shifa Hospital, which is the biggest one in, in Gaza Strip. Uh, I saw, uh, first of all, all of the beds, medical beds, are full of inside the, the departments emergency departments, ICU, are all full. And they keep the most dangerous inside, and they, rele- and they release the others outside of the hospital, in the garden. I saw uh, tents full of injuries, 
and some of them in, even in dangerous case, uh, the beds, medical beds are outside of the hospital. Some patients and some uh, wounded people, you know, lie on the ground. Uh, it's very difficult to describe. Anyhow, the medical sector in Gaza is almost collapsed. Uh, it's very difficult to make operations. Uh, you know, the numbers of doctors is, is few numbers uh, in the normal time, but now dozens comes to the hospital at one time, at once. Marwan, you've seen a lot of conflict in Gaza over the years, and I wonder how you would describe what's happening now versus past conflict in Gaza. Well, I have been covering the conflict uh, since 1988, but till now, but I have never so covered such as this war. It's it's horrible. Uh, before this war, uh, I, I mean about the, the war in 2014, uh, the Israeli army used to. to to send message warning to the people to leave to leave the house before they destroy it. Now they don't send any warning. Just suddenly they strike the house, killing all of the people inside. So this is different, completely different of any other war before in Gaza trip. Marwan Al Ghul, CBS producer, living in Gaza. Marwan, please stay safe. Please keep your family safe. Thank you. Thank you very much. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We turn now to Robert Mardini. He's the Director General of the International Committee of the Red Cross, and he joins us from Geneva. Good morning to you, sir. How much aid have you been able to get into Gaza today? Good morning, Margaret. So uh, today we were able to get uh, three additional trucks in of uh, medicines, uh, war wounded kits, uh, so surgical equipment for hospital. They are badly needed, as well as some uh, water and sanitation equipment. Uh, They come on top of uh, six trucks uh, that um, passed uh, on Friday. This is good. Uh, This is positive. But this is a drop in an ocean of need. Uh, and of course, uh, is only a small fraction of what uh, the Gaza Strip and Gazans uh, need today. We just heard on our program from a Republican senator who said that he does not uh, trust that U.S. aid that is provided to international organizations like yours can actually make it to the people of Gaza and not end up in the hands of terrorists. How do you account for that? 
Well, as a as a neutral, impartial humanitarian organization that has been present in the Gaza Strip for uh, for decades now, uh, we work uh, in a direct implementation mode. Uh, we have our own staff delivering aid and services to uh, to individuals uh, that are uh, carefully vetted uh, to institutions uh, such as hospitals, such as the Shifa Hospital, where our uh, surgeon very often operate hand in hand with the Palestinian surgeons uh, and our partners from the Palestine Red Crescent Society. So we have very robust uh, and rigorous checks in place to prevent uh, um, and, and to ensure rather that uh, aid goes to the right persons, who, those who need it the most. This morning, the Palestinian Red Crescent uh, that you just mentioned said they received threats and needed to evacuate the hospital, they were told, because it was going to be bombarded. Did Israel inform your partners of this? What is happening? Well, these orders of evacuation uh, happening in the Gaza Strip are, of course, problematic for us. Uh, this hospital, Al-Quds, uh, uh, has uh, close to 400 uh, uh, patients, uh, most of them uh, severely injured. Uh, uh, there are uh, thousands of civilians taking shelter in hospitals. Hospitals are protected by uh, the laws of war, uh, by international humanitarian law. Uh, under no, no circumstances, hospitals should be bombed. Under no circumstance, a patient should die in a hospital bed, uh, and uh, it is very difficult to evacuate hospitals. Uh, imagine uh, babies in incubators. Uh, you cannot unplug this. Uh, imagine people uh, getting oxygen. You cannot just evacuate this unless there is a feasible and viable alternative to this. And today, this alternative simply does not exist in the Gaza Strip. Uh, and let's remind that it is the obligation of parties to the conflict to ensure that based Basic services uh, for the civilian population are covered at all times, and the burden should not go uh, to organizations uh, such uh, as us or the Palestine Red Crescent Society. You are neutral. You are in contact with Hamas. On Friday, there had been high hopes for a humanitarian hostage release. There wasn't one. Um, do you still believe that one is possible? Let me just uh, start by saying that uh, to, to, the, to the families of hostages uh, that the plight of their loved ones is one of our top priorities, that we are in conversation with Hamas, with Israeli officials and with other, others to uh, ensure uh, their safe uh, release. Uh, we have been uh, also proposing to visit uh, hostages in order to ensure that they get uh, personal medicines uh, uh, or simply that they can exchange messages with their loved ones. Uh, and of course, uh, we stand ready to facilitate any uh, release, hoping that this uh, will happen. So far, uh, we were able to facilitate the release of four hostages, uh, and we stand ready to do uh, more as, uh, as soon as parties uh, negotiate an agreement. Well, we hope for all of those hostage families that there is one. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. We'll be right back. As the war between Israel and Hamas enters its fourth week, we asked our Holly Williams to reflect on the magnitude of the story and how the unimaginable is now reality. At first, the scale of the attack on October 7th was difficult to grasp for Israelis and for us. 
This attack is being compared to Israel's 9-11. Israel didn't see the massacre coming. Civilians hunted in their own homes. And nor did we. How long were they planning this for? They must have been planning this for at least a year, if not longer. Well-trained, they knew how to use these weapons, they were applied correctly, which is why there was so much carnage. They knew what they were doing. For many Israelis, it brought back nightmarish echoes of the Holocaust. This is Almog. Look at his smile. Orit Meir's son Almog is believed to be one of the hostages shown here in a Hamas propaganda video. I recognized him uh, from the beginning. And how did you feel at that moment? Terrified. Israel and the Palestinians have been locked in a cycle of violence for decades. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. Three days after the assault, with Israeli airstrikes raining down on Gaza and Palestinians paying for Hamas's actions with their lives, the militants threatened to start killing the hostages, one by one, every time Israel bombed Palestinian civilians without warning. We held our breath, so did Israel, but instead Hamas began to release some of the hostages. Around 200 are still pawns in a high-stakes game of blackmail. <laughs> Reporting from southern Israel when the country's at war means seeking cover whenever Hamas fires rockets. We just heard a whole series of very large blasts and we ran to take cover here. But Israelis are protected from most of the barrages by the Iron Dome air defence system. Inside the Gaza Strip, there is no protection. I saw dozens of killed people and... Our colleague, CBS News producer Marwan Al Ghul, lives there with his family, risking his life to get the news out. Marwan has enriched our reporting for over two decades. And when we've visited Gaza, he's helped keep us safe. I am concerned of my family. This makes me sometimes angry and sometimes I feel like I need to cry. Pain is what the Israelis and Palestinians share. War and politics are what divide them. That was our Holly Williams. Thank you, and thank you all for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, retired General and former CENTCOM Commander Joseph Votel, Ohio Republican Senator J.D. Vance, and the Director General of the International Committee of the Red Cross, Robert Mardini. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Brian Nailsnick. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network at 1.34 and 10 p.m. on Sundays, and it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, 
You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.